0: Today, on Bread for the Broken, with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the broken. Jesus
1: is saying, they are so concerned with straining at a gnat, but then swallowing a camel, is what Jesus would later use as an illustration. He's like, you're so focused on the external. You're like a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. You clean up the outside, but you're corrupt on the inside, is really what that means. It has nothing to do with what you eat. You're gonna eat food, it's gonna go in, it's gonna go out, all that good stuff. You know how that works. But he says it's not about, it has nothing to do with
0: that. Your biggest problem is your heart. When I read it, it looks like Jesus really loved to correct the selfish and self-centered thinking of the Pharisees. He even calls the Pharisees out as whitewashed tombs, spotless on the outside, yet dead on the inside. In his message today, Pastor James is going to explore yet another encounter between Jesus and those religious leaders, and we'll discover that God is bigger than the law. Seeking Him is more important than seeking to make ourselves perfect. Let the Lord lead your actions instead. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 7, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: Let me tell you this. There's a lot of hymns that are not theologically sound. Just because they're hymns doesn't mean they're great. They're not scripture. They're not scripture. So we hold those things in an open hand because we just don't hold fast to those things. We hold fast to the word. We hold fast to certain doctrines and theological things. The hypocrites are like, man, we hold fast to what? Hand-washing. Hand-washing. Like, okay, okay. It's not going to save you, and it doesn't do you any good other than maybe prevent you from getting a bad case of food poisoning or something or whatever. I don't know, but Jesus is like, you guys honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. It says, their worship, I like this, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, it says their worship is a farce. That's a word you don't hear much anymore, right? But it's, it's fake. It's fake. It says, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. When we start teaching in churches, man-made ideas as commands of God, we have to be cautious. Again, and we live in such a weird world where, I mean, we can turn anything into the 11th commandment, and we do that and we do that. We're really good at that. Why? Because, well, we have what? We have to control people. No, you can't control people. You can't. So the best thing to do is point them to Jesus and point them to the word of God and let them grow in their understanding. So then you can answer questions such as, well, can Christians drink alcohol or not? Well, do you want the biblical answer? Or do you want the answer that most of us grew up with in the church? The Bible makes it pretty clear. Now, I know there are certain distinctions made for leaders within the church and all that good stuff. I can tell you this right now, and you guys know this. I have no problem sharing this with you at all. I do not drink alcohol at all, at all. And I made that decision in my life when I was a high school student, not saved, Because alcoholism is a problem in my family. And though I dabbled in junior high and high school, I knew enough, I was like, I've seen the end of this, and I do not want to go down that road. That was a personal decision that I had made. When I got saved at 19 years old, then you fast forward a couple years, when I turned 21, could I have had a drink of alcohol? Yes, I could have. That's not a sin. To be drunk is the sin. That's the sin. Now, should you drink alcohol? Here's my pastor answer. I would encourage you to avoid it. Here's why. Because the world we live in, and if you're a leader, especially if you're a leader within this church, I'm going to say, no, you abstain from it. Abstain from it. Why? Well, because people out in the world may see you drinking, and what kind of message is that going to send to them? Well, then they should just know the word. The world should know the word seriously? Well, if it's an immature believer, they should grow up. No, maybe you should be the grown-up. Well, are we not willing to lay aside freedoms for the sake of others? We had a board meeting yesterday, and we talked about this just briefly, but being a part of a church is about sacrifice. I don't know how we've gotten into this thing of Christianity where it's like so consumeristic, and we'll show up if you deliver. <laughs> what? What? I'm sorry, but that's not how this thing works. We show up because we have something to offer. We show up because the Bible commands it. We show up because we need each other. This is not a performance. If this is a performance-based thing, let me tell you, there are better pastors out there and there are better churches out there if you want consumerism. Well, I'm not here to cater to that. Not at all. Being a follower of Christ, it comes with sacrifice comes to sacrifice. We have to lay down things. So hear me out. If you're like, but what about my glass of wine in the evening? Drink it. That's, I don't, what what business is that of me, of mine? But if you're getting drunk, then we have an issue and that's sin. And we need to call that out. And you need to repent of that. But see, we're really good at, we want to make rules. Why? Because we just, because if we let them know that possibly they can, then they're just going to go crazy. Crazy. You can't control what people are going to do. And the best thing you could ever do for somebody is point them to Jesus and point them to the word of God. Let them discover the word. Let them see what the word has to say about this, that, or whatever else. That's what mature believers need to be doing. We need to know how to come alongside people and say, you know what, let's say alcohol. Let's talk about that. Let's pull up every verse in the Bible that speaks about that and let's walk through that together. And then at the end of it, man, what conviction do you have? If you have a conviction to not do it, then you follow that conviction. Because then if you go against that conviction to you, that's sin. It's pretty simple. But we see how we've done this. And that's the thing we have to be on guard about because that was what was happening in Israel when Jesus showed up. I mean, they were so concerned about the external and, and looking the part and, and speaking the part and, and doing all the stuff that when Jesus himself, God in flesh is there, they have no idea who he is. They totally miss him. He goes on to say, verse 8, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own traditions. You're like, yeah, we know what the Bible says, but we've expounded upon that. And so what we want you to pay attention more to is what we have expounded upon. So in, in one sense, Jesus is saying, you are pushing the Bible off of the table to make more room for your thoughts and to make more room for your ideas. When we put the Bible on the bookshelf so that we could have more room on our plate for our thoughts and ideas and traditions we are sinning that's sin it's sin why is it sin because it's idolatry because you have elevated your thoughts your mind your ideas your traditions over god's word that's a sin that's a sin we have to be careful about these things and i love that the bible is just so it's pretty clear on a lot of things actually the bible is probably more strict than what we give it credit for when we're so concerned about no no if you let people if you give people an inch they'll take a mile that's how it is i'm like have you read the bible because it's pretty clear on personal holiness in fact we got a whole list we're about to read through and i'm going to define the terms and you may or may not like the definitions but they're the definitions and it's what jesus says So he calls them out. They don't like this at all. They don't like being called out in front of people, for sure. Nobody ever does. But he calls them out, exposes them as frauds. Verse 9, then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. You become experts at this thing. For instance, he's going to illustrate his point. And praise God, because I'm horrible at coming up with illustrations, and I love it when I come through a portion of Scripture, and I'm like, oh, there's an the illustration right there. I don't have to worry about it, because Jesus does such a great job at this. He's like, let me tell you, let me give you a specific of where you do this really well. He says, for instance, Moses gave this law from God, honor your father and mother. And they valued this as like one of the most important laws of the Ten Commandments, okay? It says, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. And you're like, wow, the Bible says that. Yeah, it, it did say that. Yes, absolutely. Should, is that something we should still hold fast to? No, because there's this new thing called grace, okay? So before you go crazy, um, you need to understand that if we did this, none of us would be here today, number one. Okay, we would all have been, you know, taken out by our parental figures, okay? So let's extend grace. He says, that's what the law says. That's what, that's what Moses said. Moses got that from God. Moses communicated it. They esteem Moses as one of like the top guys. Verse 11, but you say, here's the problem. But you say, it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. Or they say, Corban. That's a Greek word. Okay? Which means like, hey, mom, dad, look, I know it's difficult for you guys. And I know customarily, you know, we're supposed to take care of you when you get older. Um, and I i know you heard about this uh, bonus I got. Um, but see, I've already dedicated that to God. So I can't give you any. That's what they were doing. I just came across this money. And uh, look, I, I know, mom, dad, you've fallen on hard times because uh, you can't work and all this good stuff. And it's my responsibility to take care of you. Um, but man, I, you're, just, you're, you're a moment too late because I just dedicated that money to God. And so I can't use it to help you out. That's what they were doing. They were literally doing that. That's what Corbin means. They had the means to help out, but they refused to help out. Why? Because they're selfish Maybe I can elaborate. They're selfish pigs. Yeah? we are like, oh my goodness, oh, that was such language. That's, who, that's what they were. That's, that's the condition of their heart. I mean, you're going to tell me that you're not going to take care of your mom or dad when you have the means to take care of mom and dad simply because you don't want to let go of some dollars? That's breaking that commandment. And Jesus is like, the word says this, but you say this. This is a perfect example of you going over the word so that you have your own way. And he's just using this illustration to expose to them the condition of their hearts. That's all he's doing. He says, in this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Jesus is like, I could go on and on and on about what you guys are doing. Of how you're just totally ignoring the word of God and you're placing more emphasis on your traditions. He's like, I got a list. Do you want a list? Or is that one good enough? That one's good enough. It's good enough. So he calls them out, he exposes it, he illustrates his point, and then he's going to address the crowd. Verse 14, he called to the crowd to come and to hear. He says, All you listen and try to understand. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, is what that really means. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You were defiled by what comes from your heart. Now, before you get excited, this is not speaking about what you maybe think it's speaking about. That goes to my Rastafarian buddies who tried to educate me on the Word of God when I just got saved and in California. And they are like, no, no, listen, let me give you good evidence as to why we can biblically smoke pot I'm like, well, I'm listening. Because I just got saved out of that whole scene. I'm like, what? And, the, and they're like, no, look. And I didn't have a Bible on me. And so they rebuked me. And, and I learned from that rebuke. I never went street witnessing again without a Bible, OK? Because I didn't, I didn't know. I just showed up. And they're like, oh, no, no, you're doing this all wrong. And they're like, and he quotes. He wanted to open up my Bible to bring me to Mark chapter 7 so he could tell me and show me, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. It's what comes out. And I'm like, and he said that to me. And I just, I'm newly saved, but there was like warning flags going off inside of me. And I'm like, I don't think that that's what that means. (laughs) But I don't know enough to argue with you on this point. What I've learned is that is not what that means. That's not the point. Okay. Jesus is saying they are so concerned with straining at a gnat, but then swallowing a camel is what Jesus would later use as an illustration. He's like, you're so focused on the external you're like a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. You clean up the outside, but you're corrupt on the inside, is really what that means. It has nothing to do with what you eat. You're going to eat food. It's going to go in. It's going to go out. All that good stuff. You know how that works. But he says it's not about, it has nothing to do with that. Your biggest problem is your heart. You think you're clean, but you're not. You're defiled. He goes on, verse 17. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that food you put into your body cannot defile you? No, it can do other things to you, but defilement spiritually, you're not going to get defiled by eating food, okay? Spiritually. He says it doesn't go into your heart. you Goes on to say, verse 19, food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer, like that. Parentheses says, by saying this, he declared, this is Mark adding commentary to this, just so you know, Mark, who is co writing this with Peter, who this really, really, Peter really understands this concept. He says, by saying this, he, Jesus, at this time declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And it would be later on into the book of Acts where Peter's on the rooftop and he has this vision and God unfolds his sheet, this blanket with all these unclean animals. And God says, Rise, Peter, kill, eat. Peter says, I don't think so. I'm a good Jewish man. I ain't falling for that one, Lord. And he's like, No, it's not a trick. Like, you're free. You can eat, look, it's bacon. You can eat bacon. Technically, in Peter and Mark, Peter, for sure, going through that experience, look back on this, and they're like, oh, man, see, he did it there. He set us free back then, but we missed it. We missed it. How many years have I gone down this road without fully realizing that Jesus has set me free from these things? Been set free. Verse 20 Then he added, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. For From without of a person's heart, the outflow of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. We've gone through a weird year or so with people trying to, trying to set society free, so to speak. We've seen that happen through like certain restrictions with policing, defunding police. What our humanist friends are discovering is the issue is with humanity, not police. Although humanity is part of police. I love cops. They give me tickets all the time. Um, we have a good relationship. It's great. I respect these guys. I love these guys. I know that there's some bad apples in the bunch, but that's true of every profession on this planet. You can tell me every doctor's a good doctor. You can tell me every pastor's a good pastor. They're not. They're not. But what's idiotic to a certain extent is to say, let people do whatever they want, and the good will work itself out. Well, that goes against what Scripture says because the Bible says from the heart flows all these problems that we see. So if you want to leave it up to people to figure stuff out, do not be surprised, San Francisco, California, when your crime rate is through the roof. Do not be surprised when you want to pull back funding for guys who are just Most of them, if not almost all of them, are there just to simply help, to serve, and to protect. And you want to pull them back. Do not be surprised when the murder rate goes through the roof. Why? Because it happens here. And you cannot legislate morality. You're not going to change anybody through that stuff. What's going to change people? The Word of God and Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moving and transforming their lives. Here, let's define these terms. Let's end on this high note. Let's end. You're like, sweet cool. um, I'm going to preface this. Each and every one of us, guilty of these things. Guilty of these things. But there's good news. Evil thoughts, devising and scheming, technically is what that means. Here's a fun one. Sexual immorality. Hold on tight. Any and all sexual sins contrary to God's will, meaning premarital, extramarital, unnatural sexual behavior. I don't like that. It's the word of God. That's literally the definition. Theft. Don't need to define it, but I will. Taking what's not yours. That's commandment number eight, right? Don't steal. Murder. Taking an innocent life. An innocent life. That's the sixth commandment. Adultery. Violating the marriage covenant by engaging in sexual behavior, whether it be mentally or physically, and I added emotionally, with somebody who is not your spouse. Greed, a desire for more at the expense or exploitation of another. That's the 10th commandment. Evil actions, deliberate malice. Deceit means dishonesty, cunning, treachery. Promiscuity is one of the terms used within here, depending on your translation. Shameless living, lacking moral restraint. Restraint. And that can be applied to anything. We always apply it to sexual behavior, but it technically can be applied to any and all behaviors where there is no moral restraint being used by you. That's promiscuity. Evil eye. I like that one. It wasn't in the New Living Translation, but it was probably in yours. And you're like, the evil eye? I've been given that so many times. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've given it too. Um, technically, the evil eye, that term there, means envy, jealousy. Rooted in unbelief, also meaning never satisfied. Here's the quote: "It's as if God is withholding His best from me." It's that notion. Blasphemy means slander or speaking evil of man or of God. Slander is like we live in slander. My goodness, I've heard the illustrations like it's like asking a fish, like, "Hey, what's the water like?" And he's like, "What water? What are you talking about? Well, the thing you're swimming. This is what I live in." And unfortunately, within our our day and age, slander is like what we live in. Man, that's one of the dark sides of social media. It's just like slander everywhere. Pride, arrogance, foolishness, the last one. Foolishness would be spiritual insensitivity. That's foolishness. Not being sensitive to the Spirit of God and to the leading of the Lord. Those are once what occupied my heart. Those were at home within my heart. And they had it good. They had it really good. Because I provided them everything that they needed. I fed them. I nurtured them. I tended to them very well. Very well. Until I was 19 years old. And I was applied to go to Bible college. And I'm weeks from Bible college. And then the Lord Jesus showed up in my life. And he says, hey, all that wickedness, all that stuff, all that defilement, we got to deal with that. And I said, yes, you're right. Because I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being a slave. I'm tired of being a slave. And he showed up and he says, I know how to fix it. You need a new heart. You need a new heart. We don't need to remodel your old heart. We don't need to fix it up or do anything. No, what you need is a heart transplant. You need a new heart. And I'm here to give you a new heart. Do these things still want to get back and occupy space within my heart? Oh, you better believe it. You better believe it. Absolutely. Absolutely but praise Jesus that he came and he died on the cross and he rose from the grave so that he can give each and every one of us a new heart that is not plagued by these things. You can be set free. We can be set free. And we don't have to worry about religion. You don't have to worry about looking the part and all that stuff. You just give him your heart. And he gives you a new heart. He makes you, like the scripture reading for today, he makes you a new creation, a new creation set free. For freedom, you've been set free, is what the Word says. So let's be on guard concerning the traditions of man. Let's make the Word of God top priority within our lives. And for sure, anything that we do at Calvary Galveston, it has to come from this, because if it doesn't come from this, then we don't want to do it. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's thank Him for a new heart. Let's thank Him for a new heart. And let's walk in freedom, guys. Let's walk in freedom. Let's enjoy that, what we have in Jesus today.
0: Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. This book is fast-paced. You'll notice as you keep studying with us that Jesus was on the move quite a lot. He did what needed to be done, and then he moved on to the next thing. Jesus packed a lot of service into his time here on earth culminating in the greatest act of sacrifice ever, dying on the cross for everybody. If Jesus was consistently moving and serving, shouldn't we also be doing the same? Our faith doesn't say that we should just sit back and let others do the work. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, right here, right now. So go and do whatever it is that the Lord has gifted you with. Go share the good news of the gospel, and then demonstrate it by how you love and serve people. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we would love to meet you. Visit breadforthebroken.com for more information. Would you like to do something for us? Would you pray for your fellow listeners? Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Please pray for us, too, that we would continue to follow Jesus' leading no matter where it takes us. If you feel like God is leading you to partner with us financially, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. That's all that we have for today. Join Pastor James next time for more here on Bread for the Broken
2: to up you back.